In my practice and what I believe to be a real classroom is, is the ex exchange of knowledge. But if I'm not open enough to see where my students come from and what they bring and the, the understandings they have about things, uh, I think it's just one way transmission of knowledge. And that's been outdated for a long time, so we need to break that and have a real conversation. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Ejivan Brito joins us to discuss what the Brazilian settlements called favelas can teach us about how language, race, and geography intersect. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media development manager. We are excited to have Edgevan Brito in the studio today. Dr. Brito is assistant professor and director of the Portuguese program at the University of Arkansas, Fayetteville. He is on campus as part of our monthly LRC speaker series and gave a talk titled Using Social and Cultural Issues to Promote Language Learning and Cultural Awareness, language variation, race, and migration. We will extend our conversation about the intersection of all these topics on our podcast today. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Ejivan. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> We're very excited that you are here, and this this was such a compelling talk and, and such an interesting topic. Yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, wondering if you can start us off by giving us a little bit of background on you and the research you've been doing. All right. Um, so I, I was born in Brazil, and um, that's where I completed my undergraduate studies uh, at the University of, of Sao Paulo. And um, in the meantime, I came to the U.S. as an exchange student in 2005, and that, that's why I applied for a master's program hmm. later. Mm -hmm. And so I came back in 2008 and completed a master's in mass communication and media studies at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And um, when I finished this master's, I actually started my career as a Portuguese instructor in the U.S. So almost huh. 10 years ago. Um, as I was working as a Portuguese instructor, I also started my Ph.D. in linguistics at, at Georgetown University. And so... Um, in my PhD, I, I looked at uh, language variation uh, in Portuguese, or more specifically in Brazilian Portuguese, mm -hmm. spoken in Rio de Janeiro. Um, and I conducted um, interviews with uh, residents of the neighborhood called City of God, which is mostly known because of a movie with yep. the same name. Yep. And so I got to go there and talk to some people about language, about living there, and did some analysis, and that was the research. <laughs> so I've been uh, interested in, in actually this intersection uh, between language, identity, and power, which in, in my view is just how language variation is connected with how people speak in every situation with different groups, and so my goal is to get closer to understanding how 
we speak informs the way we see our, ourselves and other people and and the power relationships in in those interactions mm-hmm. that's that's very interesting um so in your talk you uh, also focused on these general social and cultural issues and how you can use those to promote language and culture learning so can you briefly summarize for our listeners here exactly what are the implications or what are the connections for the language classroom when you think about these issues like language variation identity and power mm-hmm. so um the the talk was um i think i did a an illustration of how these issues, I say language variation, race and migration, could be used as um, subjects that you can use in the classroom to uh, make students understand not only what is going on in their own country, mm-hmm. in the United States, but also in relation to the cultures they, they are learning uh, with their language learning. But that is, I would say, specific to Brazilian Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And, and my goal in the talk was to um, engage language instructors to look at their own target language countries and identify those topics they think would be maybe challenging or interesting mm-hmm. to talk to, yeah. stu- to students about. And so uh, in, in doing that, uh, my idea was to help them go deeper in the teaching of culture, which usually we tend to stop uh, in the practices and um, products of culture, mm-hmm. and say what is more visual, concrete. And we tend to forget uh, to talk about the perspectives that give uh, some, I say, foundation to those things that we see and relate to different cultures. Yeah. And so even the, the standards, national standards for, for language learning uh, came up with this idea of the uh, five C's mm-hmm. and, and culture is one of the five C's. And inside culture, usually they re, uh, would talk about the three P's, mm-hmm. practices, products, and perspectives. And in general, language uh, classrooms would be Uh, focus, I mean, I'm sorry, would focus on products and practice, yeah. practices and not so much mm-hmm. on perspectives. perspectives yeah. And so my idea was to kind of give an example of how those conversations could go deeper and just show, for example, pictures of a favela in Rio de Janeiro. But I should and need to explain to students how those places are formed. Where do those people come from? What is the history behind those places? What are the social tensions that those places places mm-hmm. create in cities like Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo? And so I think it's just uh, we need to expand a little bit the discussion about the things we talk about in the classroom. Yeah. Is it difficult to adjust topics like that to different levels of proficiency? So can you do this in the first semester? 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, how would you? You would probably have to have discussions mm-hmm. around that in, mm-hmm. in English. Yeah, yeah. Um, or at, at what point in a curriculum would you mm-hmm. would you position discussions mm-hmm. and, and topics like that? I believe um, I, I cannot prevent my students from knowing or um, discussing those topics. Even if they are beginner students, mm-hmm. they should be introduced because... There's a clear connection be- between the language they are learning and these facets of the culture they mm-hmm. are also learning. Sure. And so even if they cannot formulate using, let's say, Portuguese, um, these deeper connections, they can do that using English. Mm-hmm. It's in the beginner stages. That is one of the solutions. But I can use uh, their skills, let's say, to describe or to identify certain features in pictures, for example, or in a video. They don't need to necessarily discuss the social problems <laughs> or mm-hmm. philosophical problems connected to those pictures, but they they right. can see and they can describe what they see. And so I can use that in beginner levels. And as they uh, get better with their proficiency, then you can start to introduce other ways of discussing those topics. Mm -hmm. And so we could introduce uh, some readings or longer videos. Sure. And so I guess the the difficulty depends on on the level. And so that's, I guess, the the Mm -hmm. main answer to your question. Mm -hmm. We have always to take it to consider where students are and where we want them to be. And so that's the main. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it sounds like that students are interested in in such issues, right? And that that they want mm-hmm. to learn more and mm-hmm. and want to, uh, you know, hear from the expert from from you who has done a lot of research on this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But um, actually, that is not the case for for most uh, foreign language uh, teachers, especially those who grew up. In the United States, they often think that they are not so knowledgeable about mm. those mm-hmm. more complex issues. And so I would tell them to not be discouraged because of the lack of knowledge, mm-hmm. because that would be something that these uh, instructors could explore with the students mm, and true. not feel yeah. incapable of. Yeah. talking about them because they don't know enough. Yeah. And there's not, n- never a place where we are sure we know 100% of anything. And so I think we yeah, shouldn't, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't uh, take that as, as the number one rule. Mm-hmm. You need yep. to know what yep. you're yep. actually doing. So Exactly. When I found, too, that oftentimes it's it makes the instructor appear more human if you can actually say, oh, you know, I don't know, but... Let mm-hmm. me find an mm-hmm. answer and we'll discuss this later. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you are right. And we shouldn't uh, give that image of, of the teacher as, as mm. the person mm-hmm. who knows everything. Yep. And I, in my practice and what I believe to be a real classroom is, is the ex- exchange of knowledge. And so knowledge is created both by the things I bring as an instructor but if I'm not open enough to um, see where my students come from and what they bring, 
and the the understandings they have about things, uh, I think it's just one way transmission of knowledge, mm-hmm. and that's been outdated for a long time. So mm-hmm. we need to break that mm-hmm. and have a real conversation. Yep. So I'm wondering too, um, given the the current political climate in the United States, these themes and issues of of race and migration, and and maybe even you know, language, language variation. How does this factor into your teaching? Do you draw close connections to, you know, the the current events in the United States? Do you tend to focus on current events just in Brazil? Mm-hmm. Um, I think my starting point is usually the community where we are at. Mm-hmm. And then, so we go from local to global. Mm. And I cannot understand cultural issues in Brazil if I, I'm not open to discuss them in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so first we can look close and see how issues of race or migration and even language variation are dealt with uh, uh, here in our communities. And then we can explore or make comparisons with how people in other places deal with them. So I think it's, it's a, a starting point. And there's no way we can live in this day and age and not acknowledge the impact of globalization mm. and language variation, race or ethnicity, migration, because it's, these are hot, uh, hot topics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even when you say you are teaching conjugations, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes those tensions appear. I remember one time when I was t- teaching colors and my textbook has pictures of uh, people from Brazil and from other communities where mm-hmm. Portuguese is spoken. And often uh, times I saw that students did not make any, I guess, question or did, it n- did not notice some of the nuances of those pictures. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I always made sure that we had a conversation about colors because that is one of the main social issues we have in mm. Brazil. Sure. Even though most people try to avoid those conversations yeah. and they are not fun, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we need to talk about them. And so as we talk about colors, and that's a beginner class, in fact, mm-hmm. um, sure. we start to understand how this society is organized and who are the social groups we are talking about mm-hmm. and what are they, where are they in relation to each other. So I think any class can be a potential <laughs> subject for, sure. for a cultural teaching. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it brings it back to the seas that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. The communities and the connections and the mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's great. Just just going back a little bit to the to my talk. Um, so I, I talked about the the issue of favelas in in Brazil, and when I say favelas, I'm uh, talking about what the the Brazilian government calls um, subnormal agglomerates, mm-hmm. which for Anybody to understand is just an informal housing settlement. And so um, those are communities that usually are created in um, 
properties that are owned by somebody else and people mm. occupy them for any reasons. Yeah. And so some places are not even uh, favelas for, let's say, if we look at government's uh, criteria. Mm-hmm. But my Uh, idea is that there is something else <laughs> beyond these physical, geographical uh, elements that people usually use to define favelas. And so, in my view, I think there is more to it. Uh, in fact, I think there there are elements re- in related to how people look, how they dress, how they speak, that helps uh, the outsider uh, understand or categorize that place as a favela. So uh, as an example, City of God, historically it's been known as a favela, but if you look at government uh, criteria, it's not defined as a favela. Only mm-hmm. 13% of its territory mm-hmm. would be categorized as favela. That's interesting. But if you Google favela uh-huh. or City of God, Favela is probably one of the first words you're sure. going to see. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so that uh, is connected to the issue of representation mm-hmm. and how we create realities uh, uh, that can affect people. And I'd say most of the people who live there actually don't agree with the images they saw on the movie. Mm. Not because the images or stories were not true. They were because they are based on real facts. The thing was, it just one-sided mm-hmm. because you show the violence, you show the poverty, but you don't show people who go to school. You mm-hmm. don't show people who mm-hmm. go to work every single day. The families that uh, have to build their houses or yeah. commu- community work. And so when people are uh, presented only to those images, you reinforce the idea that favelas are just that. And so my, uh, I guess my point of view is that we need to challenge challenge those representations yeah. and present alternatives. And so by studying language variation, my goal was to kind of this demystify language itself and say yes, we have these different variants for. Uh, this feature in Portuguese, there is no problem in speaking one or the other. Mm-hmm. And first, we need to do that and and break that idea of good and bad, uh-huh. and uh-huh. then embrace diversity as uh, an important feature of language and of culture. Mm. And so, I think that is something I wanted to yeah. add. Yeah, sure. no, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, can you describe for our listeners exactly? What's the nature of this language variation? Oh, okay. Like, where is the variation? <laughs> so, in this case, it was just one feature. This is actually very well known by scholars who study Spanish and Portuguese or maybe other Romance languages. So, I studied the um, post-vocalic S. Let's say, an example. An example would be the phrase, as casas, so the houses. And you have two S's there. In most cases, this S would correspond to the S for plural mm-hmm. in Portuguese. And so 
So there, there is more to it than just saying sure. it's an S. Yeah. <laughs> it could be less lexical, could be morphological. But the, the thing is, in Brazilian Portuguese, we have four variants for that uh, feature, or S. Mm-hmm. And two of them would be considered uh, standard. It's more the the way if I say as casas, it's standard. So, so most people would understand and not have any idea about that. If I say as casas, mm-hmm. and though it's also standard, would show me that this person could be from maybe the coastal areas of Brazil. Okay. And if I say um, as casa then I'm deleting the second S. And so that shows a little bit of not only the variation, but also something about the speaker. So maybe mm-hmm. it's someone with low, uh, not a lot of education, yeah, maybe uh-huh. social cl- uh, working class. And so there are some ideas indexed in the production mm-hmm. of that sure. variant. And the one I looked at was uh, the aspiration, which does not work well with the example I gave, the <laughs> as casas. So let's change to os gatos, the two cats or the cats. Mm. So os gatos. And then I made the S sound like an ah uh, sound. Mm-hmm. So os gatos. And so that, even though it's not clear what uh, judgments people would have about that one. I found that is interesting how it's present in uh, in communities or places where you have, uh, let's say, it is in informal communities. And so when people use the aspirated S or delete the S, we are also marking where they're from, mm-hmm, where they live, mm-hmm what kind of education they might have or what social class they may belong to. And so uh, that that was the main study. But I could have looked at many other issues. And so I'm, I've been trying to focus on non-standard features of Brazilian Portuguese mm-hmm. because those are not usually not well studied. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so they tend to be overlooked in mm-hmm. the in the research. Yeah. And so I want to kind of give voice to the people who usually mm-hmm. are not present in, in the research okay. that yeah. we have yeah. about Brazilian Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, I can certainly think of similar examples in English and how different mm-hmm. different variations are have different uh implications mm-hmm. socially and yeah. that's well thank you yeah. so thank you <laughs> um and i guess to to wrap up then do you mm-hmm. have any any final advice for instructors who are interested in in introducing these themes in their own teaching yes <laughs> yeah i have a a few uh pieces of advice um so uh, especially for people who don't think they are uh, well prepared to take discussions on these complex issues, mm-hmm. I would tell them to start l- slow and maybe tackle just like one uh, aspect mm-hmm. of this issue and then maybe building up to more complex 
uh, elements later on. And so uh, also something that is very important, if you don't like to talk about, let's say, race, <laughs> then you shouldn't talk about race because mm -hmm. it's yeah, uncomfortable yeah. for yeah. you. Uh -huh. So follow your passions. Mm -hmm. So something that strikes your interest. And so that's, that's something important to keep in mind because imagine, I often do that when I'm preparing my classes. I usually go, go through what is, let's say, my plan. And when I uh, see something that I, I personally don't like to do, yeah. I cross that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't make my students yeah. do that. Yeah. No, so the same thing goes with culture. Yeah. So, and when I, I say I don't like, it doesn't mean that I don't like because it's bad culture. I have this idea that it's a good and a bad culture. Mm -hmm. or it's just not, let's say, appropriate for me to have that conversation because I don't feel comfortable. Sure. Uh -huh. But don't deprive your students uh, from having those conversations just because you are uncomfortable. You can tell them to explore mm -hmm. and maybe help them find uh, elements to understand those topics. But don't just bring them to the classroom if you are maybe not, uh, I don't know, <laughs> looking for the word. Um, if you think that you just need to talk, talk about them, but you actually not so knowledgeable about these yeah. topics. Well, but I liked what you said earlier that you can learn with your students, right? Yes. If there is a theme that yes. mm -hmm. students are interested mm -hmm. in and you are just mm -hmm. not yeah. knowledgeable about or you're, mm -hmm. you don't feel that you are the expert, mm -hmm. that could be an interesting facet of, yeah. of the classroom to explore together with the mm -hmm. students and then maybe, you know, consult yeah. somebody who is an expert in yeah. that area too. Yeah, you just should educate yourself. And... Uh, I guess more, more importantly, be open mm -hmm. to explore things that you normally don't explore because that's where it's probably the things that we avoid are the things that create more tension. Sure. And so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. by avoiding, we are not solving the problem. Yeah. yeah we are just true. postponing a solution maybe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, being open is, is just... Uh, an exercise to embrace difference and to embrace mm -hmm. diversity. Yep. Great. Well, Ejivan, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you one more question. Can you please share with us your favorite word in a language that you speak or that you have learned, that you are learning, that you want to learn? So what is your favorite word? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have the word in Portuguese uh -huh. for lightning bug or firefly uh -huh. which is vagalumi mm. uh, like growing up in brazil i don't think i ever remember seeing them uh but now because i live in the south of the united states mm -hmm. they are everywhere yeah. in the summer and i always wait for that time in between day and night where they come out and just see the magic happen mm -hmm. it's it's amazing to to look at them but the word itself sounds uh very good in my ears when i say vagalumi 
I don't know. There is something to it that's very special yeah. to me. And also the fact that Linglish has at least two variants for the same word. Mm. So it's also interesting. Because yeah. I often ask people what they would call those bugs. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. some of them would say firefly. And then lightning bug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, listeners, there you have it. Your, your Brazilian Portuguese word of the day. <laughs> Ejivan, thank you so much mm -hmm. for being on Speaking of Language with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It has been a pleasure to, to be here and to share these moments with you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Next week, we have Candice Black joining our podcast. Candice is an associate in instructional services in the New York State Education Department's Office of Bilingual Education and World Languages. We will discuss developments in the state government related to world language education, including the revisions to the New York State standards for world languages she has been working on. Until then, auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.